0: Play is the work of a child, and so developmental toys are entertaining for children. None of the toys we have are going to beep or play a movie, though, so not pure entertainment in that way. But even a truck is developmental because either maybe you're doing imaginative play and you're exploring the what if, or you're learning about cause and effect.
1: Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can uplevel your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Catherine Bhattachar, who is the COO of Tiny Earth Toys. Catherine, welcome to our show.
0: Thanks for having me,
1: Nick. Yeah, great. Excited to have you on here. We always like to start at the beginning with a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came over to Tiny Earth Toys.
0: Sure. So my background is in management consulting, and then in e-commerce at Wayfair. And then most recently, I got my MBA at Duke. I'm down in North Carolina. And through my program, the MBA program, I met the now founder of Tiny Earth Toys the CEO, Rachel Classy, and I explored startups a lot during my time there and just really wanted to get my hands dirty. And when Rachel raised the first round of funding to grow Tiny Earth Toys is when I joined and initially worked in product management and answering all of our customer emails at the time. And now
1: I'm running all of operations. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So helping grow the company there. When was the company founded? I should say, when did it launch?
0: So initial testing was done in the fall of 2020. First public launch was in March of 2021. So this was another born in the pandemic company. Our founder, Rachel, was at home with her kids because of school issues. And so she was noticing that there was a lot of toys around her house. And she started a toy swap with the families in her neighborhood. And this just grew out of there.
1: Yeah. Okay. So she came up with this idea and started to build on it during COVID, not before it. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. How did that then go from swapping in the neighborhood to, hey, this could actually be a business and converting it into that?
0: Yeah. At first, the neighborhood was just enjoying swapping toys and then people were thinking, oh, maybe can we get some new toys and they offered Kobe Pay and have you buy some more toys for us to share among the neighborhood families. And then from there, Rachel did a test with having 10 families free pre-pay for a toy membership to rent the toys and that included families across the U.S., and there was a great response and a really big wait list developed.
1: So from there we built out to a public launch in March 21. Gotcha. Tell us a little bit more about how the product itself works, right? So you're these members are kind of renting the toys and they're age appropriate, right? Can you dig into that a little bit more?
0: Yeah. So we serve families with children ages zero to five and the kinds of problems that the families are coming to us to solve are whether it's maybe clutter, storage. A lot of families will tell us, oh, I just have so many toys in the attic. Or people who had kids a while ago will say that. Or families will say, I'm not sure which are the right toys for my child and which ones they should be working on their skills with right now. Another issue that we were initially setting out to address is sustainability and waste. So Rachel had noticed that she had a lot of toys that they were done with and what do you do with those? It's a pain to get rid of them on Facebook Marketplace. You really don't want to throw them away because they're either great toys or you just don't want to add another thing to the landfill. That's why we use all wooden toys is to reduce plastic and reduce waste in general because they really hold up well. And then the toys that we get are really high quality. So they're an average retail price of $40 to get access to this high quality toys. If you bought five toys and our average customer gets a five toy rental, these toys would be about $200 to $250. So instead, they're able to rent at a monthly rate and every couple of months, they can exchange them for a new set of toys.
1: Okay. So on that point, Tell us a little bit about the plans that you offer. You said a five toy rental. What are the different plans they can choose from?
0: So currently we have a five, eight, or 10 toy plan and people can pay monthly or prepay for four, six, or 12 months. But we're often testing pricing and mixing it up. That's what it is for now.
1: Okay, what have you guys uh, experimented with? What maybe hasn't worked?
0: Something that we launched in June, we were trying to increase the lifetime value. And to do that, we were trying to decouple the overtime payments versus the shipments payments because people want to pay maybe like monthly, but we ship toys every other month or... And some people want toys more frequently, some people want toys less frequently... But people typically don't want to pay like a bigger chunk every two months. They want to pay like in smaller increments. So that's why currently our prices pay monthly and you exchange every two months. But we try to align the economic value better for customers because some people say complain about paying every month and getting a shipment every other month. So... The pricing we tested out in June was a small base membership fee that's ongoing. And then you pay per shipment. And with that, we introduced a complexity of two different payments for the customers. And we also raised the prices at the same time. So our conversion rate dropped by half. And we decided that it was not worth it. So we rolled that back. I think we were trying to test too many things at once at that point. We've tested a variety of things, though, from introducing prepaid memberships. It used to be that you could exchange whatever frequency worked for you. And since then, we have narrowed it down to it's every two months, clarity for the customer. We've had some add-ons. We've tried, but pricing is evolving.
1: Gotcha. So with the current plan, though, you're paying a fixed monthly fee. You have the ability to swap every two months. Is that required to swap the toys every two months?
0: It's not required. They can swap up. If they have a five toy membership, they can swap up to five toys every two months. And if they want to, they can snooze their next shipment. If they want to pay you for an extra shipment, they can get one sooner. We're trying to maximize flexibility.
1: Okay. But the included shipment with your membership is once every two months. Right. Exactly. Gotcha. And then you said they're age appropriate. I guess when you're going through the enrollment process, you're talking about what kids you've got and their age and things like that. Does that mean that you'll then auto-swap when those kids hit different ages? Or how do you know when is the right time to swap? Or is that entirely up to the parents?
0: So currently, when you check out, you are checking out giving us your child's birth date and looking at the toys we recommend for that age on average and then selecting which ones you want. But something we're rolling out in the next couple of weeks is more skill-based toy selection. Every parent believes that their child is special. They really are different. They're not all little clones. So they do have really different developmental abilities. It's one child might be having a hard time with something fine motor and another child might have more gross motor things that they're working on. And what someone says is appropriate for a 12 month old just doesn't always apply. Some people walk at different rates. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It's just different children are different, but everything that's out there right now for children's subscriptions is age-based. And what we're going to be introducing over the next couple of weeks is going to be, what is your child actually doing right now? And here are the best toys for them based on that, not just their age. There's like some general guidelines of if they're less than six months, they're not walking. And so these are generally the appropriate toys, but we're increasingly customizing it so that it's for the child, not just for a certain age. And then over as the customer grows with us, which is the amazing thing about it being a subscription. They're able to refine the information about, this is what my child's working on now. Last time they were able to stack two blocks and now they're able to stack five blocks. And so we can send a larger block set this time. Or similar about puzzles. Maybe they needed a really small puzzle previously and also will be able to reflect children's interests better. So children go through sensitive periods when... All they'll play with is imaginary play or construction vehicles. And so we want to be able to support that. You want to expand them to continue to develop other interests and skills. But if what they're really into right now is construction vehicles. They can learn a lot from that. So let's make sure we send them construction vehicles.
1: Yeah. As a parent myself, and we've all heard this, right? There's nothing more frustrating than going out buying what you think your child is interested in at any given point in time, only to find out that one or two weeks later, they're like, yeah, I don't care about dinosaurs anymore. And then that thing sits on a shelf and it never goes anywhere. But also when we were mentioning developmental toys, right by the goal of those toys is they outgrow them, right? That they master whatever that is. And just by definition, those are going to become obsolete for the kid at some point in time. So being able to trade those in and kind of go to the next level seems to make all kinds of is What's the ratio that you guys see of those developmental toys versus just pure entertainment?
0: I don't think you can really tease those apart very well. I'm not a parent myself, but my understanding of the Montessori belief system, which we are really inspired by, is that play is the work of the child. And so developmental toys are entertaining for children. None of the toys we have are going to beep or play a movie, though. So... Not pure entertainment in that way, but even a truck is developmental because either maybe you're doing a massive of playing, you're exploring the what if, or you're learning about cause and effect. And if you dump something out of the back of your truck, so it's all developmental, but in, it's the fact that you are going to progress through various toys over time. I just have this stacker because that's what we already have is really valuable.
1: Yeah. I would have to think too that this would make a great gift from a grandparent or friend of the family or something like that. Do you guys offer gift subscriptions?
0: We do. It's a really good one for the holidays, birthdays. Something that some of our customers will say is that they really don't want more toys, but they know that the grandparents really want to give them toys. So they'll ask them for a gift subscription and say, hey, you want to give us toys? This is a really great way to do that. You could sponsor a child's toys and they'll be
1: good ones. Yeah. What challenges has that created for you guys? Because I know for others, right? Anytime you give a gift subscription, that's more of a finite term, right? They're effectively prepaid in advance. When it's a digital subscription, just turn it off, right? But your members have a physical good in hand. So how do you guys account for that?
0: Right. So we've done it a few different ways. Originally, the gift giver would sign up for the subscription and the gift recipient would receive it. But the problems that we came up, obviously, occurred with that is they would get toys they didn't want. And the gift giver doesn't want to manage the subscription. So what we've been able to set up is something where the gift giver gives a subscription. it's basically a discount code that then the gift recipient can apply at checkout. So they are actually signing up for a membership with a recurring subscription. And that's because we need their payment information in case they don't return the toys. And because if they want to stick with us, they should be able to. They'll need to cancel if they don't want to continue the membership. And, but the, the fixed period of time has been paid for.
1: Gotcha. But so there is a requirement on the gift subscription to provide a credit card or something in order to effectively redeem it?
0: Yeah, because there are toys.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. But curious, have you found some pushback there of people being like, hey, this is already paid for. Why do you need another payment method for me?
0: Yeah, people say that, but I think with a lot of the things we do, it's about customer education on this is different than just buying something. It's because it's a rental. This is an ongoing relationship that we have. And that's why it's a subscription is because you're renting it from us. But over time, you're going to need to give it back to
1: that really puts you guys in a unique category because even when I talk to those that provide physical goods, they're perishable. It's a one-way exchange, right? And sending clothes or drinks or food or anything like that, it doesn't really ever need to come back necessarily. But I've also talked to some furniture rental companies that are in the exact same boat you guys are, which is kind of like you're renting it. There needs to be some commitment to either send it back or buy it at the end. And and is that an option? Can they decide that hey, my kid loves this thing and we've gotten a lot of use out of it? I'd like to hold to it. Can they actually buy them as well?
0: Yeah. So that's a common customer potential objection is what if my child falls in love with this toy and I have to send it back? We would never want to tear it away from them. We do offer that customers can keep toys at a discount. Yeah. We get a good portion of them, maybe 5%. And we don't make it as easy for them as we could Some things we need to work on going forward are some things in the account management experience so that they can buy the toys that they currently have more easily.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So talking to sure a little bit, you guys get the toys back, you effectively clean them up, and in most cases, are you sending them back out again, or are they intended to be one-time use?
0: No, they're not one-time use. We, they're used by many families over time. So we clean them, we inspect them to make sure they're safe, that they have all the correct pieces, that they have all the correct information over packaging. If the packaging is missing, it should be returned to us, but if the packaging for the toy is missing, then we replace it and make sure it's labeled with all the appropriate information information for safety. You need to know who is this child this appropriate for. So we have a team in place internally that will clean up all the toys and take care of them. And they have amazing attention to detail and make sure that each toy is ready for its next home.
1: Gotcha. I would have to think if one of the value points that a consumer is buying into is the sustainability of it, right? That I'm not putting a toy in the landfill or throwing it away or whatever the case might be. That knowing that there is going to be another kid that might have this thing would actually make them want to take care of it a little bit better. Is that kind of what you see?
0: It, it is what we see. I think over time, as we hit more mainstream consumers, we see some people who don't take as good of care of it twice, but most people are really awesome. Like most people will even reach out to let us know we lost a piece. So sorry. And we'll tell them it's fine. Like it's included. If you lose a piece because life happens, you have kids And it's only if you don't return the majority of the toy or if you give it to your dog to chew up,
1: that we would need to charge them for it. Yeah. My child used it as a hammer instead of a toy train or something along those lines. I would assume over time, you guys are gathering more data about what comes back and is reusable, what gets lost and things like that, which I would assume that ultimately plays into the plans and the pricing and kind of what you can offer because you're just going to learn more about when we have to go buy new and replace and things like that.
0: Right. And we're able to actually share that information with our suppliers because we don't manufacture the toys. We buy them from existing toy brands. And so we give them a lot more information than they previously had access to about toys because normally consumers don't go share, hey, this toy broke after three months. They just say, oh, it just broke. It's been three months. But for us, three months isn't long enough for a toy. We need it to last a year plus. So every toy, we are getting a lot of information on it. We're able to say, okay, maybe we shouldn't carry this one anymore. We should get that one instead. And we're adjusting our curated set.
1: Yeah, that's some very valuable data. You're, to, to your point, they typically wouldn't have access to that, but you've got some very clear data that you and they can rely on to prove that, hey, we only are able to send this thing out once or twice and then it's kind of destroyed. Are you seeing that? Are they asking you for that information and are they taking that feedback? Yeah.
0: I think it's a, we have really good partnerships with our suppliers and they, so they appreciate that data. They appreciate when we're finding like, this looks like a safety hazard and we'll let them know um, that they might not have heard of until something actually happened to someone. So I think it's good for families that were really getting these toys well tested and then it's good for the suppliers to get that data. We have developed really good relationships there.
1: Yeah. So not only for your supplier, but for your own purposes as well, data has got to be really important. What's your strategy there? Like how are you guys centralizing around this valuable data that's giving you the customer insights, not only for yourselves, but for externally as well?
0: Yeah. So we're getting the data on the toys and we're also aggregating data on the children's development. So we're going to be able to see what toys do families really enjoy? What toys really helped advance their ability to stack things or sort things? What's the timeline for that? So we have an engineering team in place and all full-time employees and they're really great. And so we are actively working on how to use this data better and making the customer experience amazing and get amazing
1: toys. Yeah. Speaking of there, your tech stack. There's a lot of great tools out there for subscription companies to rely on to get set up and running pretty quickly. With that said, as we've discussed, you guys have a fairly unique model. There's probably some things you need the software to do that things off the shelf aren't going to necessarily do very well. So where have you guys made those build versus buy decisions so far? And what's your plan for the future there?
0: So far, our internal database is filled. And then all of our front-end stuff is by. And we're currently on Shopify Recharge. And for everything that we do, we end up having to hack it a little bit. It doesn't quite work for our needs. So we do need it to really be customized for us. So we're exploring what our options are there.
1: Yeah are you leaning towards or do you have a hunch that we're going to have to build a lot of this ourselves? Or do you think that there's ways you can modify maybe some off the shelf systems? Because I think a lot of founders and merchants, they struggle with this, right? You want to do things quickly. You want to do them efficiently, right? And there's a lot of tools that are out there, but almost everybody runs into at least a little bit of, I wish this worked differently. So how are you guys making those decisions?
0: That's something that we're working on over the next few months. We are rebuilding some things currently. We are evaluating some things to potentially buy. It is such a tension. Is it worth it to move faster and have access to this better experience sooner? But we'll need to make some compromises in what we offer if we buy it. So it is a really tough balance. I was actually just in a conversation right before this about whether to build or buy something for our account experience. And it's not an easy answer because it is so unique.
1: Yeah. Like it said, everybody seems to struggle with this decision for a variety of different reasons, both cost and like long term cost of ownership and flexibility and, and things like that. I guess when you're talking about your team, as you guys have grown the business, you've taken on more responsibility there. When you're adding to the team, though, what is most important to you guys? Is it somebody coming in with the right skill set that is been there, done that, and can bring that to the organization? Or are you looking more for that right fit culturally that can kind of be molded into what you guys are trying to do?
0: We tend to err on the side of... People who are go-getters, who are going to go figure it out because we are building something new. So there isn't a lot of people with toy rental experience out there. So for instance, we recently needed some extra hands in our warehouse. And a couple of people that came on board temporarily this summer are actually high school teachers. They're really smart, and they have great attention to detail, and they've really taken to the work. And they're going back to school to teach this fall. But they've been like better than some people who have lots of warehousing experience. And then for me, I've never worked in operations before, and I'm the COO now. I'm an example of someone who just I can figure things out, <laughs> and I think it's about having a collaborative mindset, growth mindset and caring about the mission and just a go-getter attitude. We just have to have a lot to do.
1: We have to go do it together. Yeah. You talked about collaboration right there. How have you guys solved for that fairly unique challenge post-COVID, right? Because those that were established before them and had to transition versus a company that started up through it, do you guys require people to be in the office? Are you looking for remote resources? Are you in a hybrid environment? How do you, you guys solve for that?
0: We're hybrid. We're small enough that you don't want to have just a part of the team that's in person who's shipping the toys and part of the team who's only working on their computers and those people never see. If we want to have something that's really collaborative, we're building the systems together. You do need to have some in person. So we're pretty hybrid. We have the occasional no person who only works remotely, but we'll generally bring them in regularly. And we get a lot of
1: value of uh, from being in the office together. Yeah. Is that because you guys are small, moving quickly and growing collaboration and getting in there, really understanding the problem and to your point, figuring it out, because that is the most important thing. You're doing something different. So it's not like there's a playbook you can just pull from for a lot of these things. So is that kind of the most important value to you, not only in being together, but just in the way that the team works together? Or what do you guys consider to be the highest values that you look for in people?
0: Yeah. Our values are, we care about proactive transparency We need people who are voicing when there's an issue or voicing when they observe something and then making sure everyone else knows about it, communicating. We value that people are not just saying there's a problem and then leaving the side. It's there's a problem and here's what I'm going to do to fix it. We we're all needing to build this right now. And... It's been really exciting that everyone across the team is really adds a ton of value to how we do things here. Like someone in the warehouse team who's a warehouse associate who could just have their head down on packing boxes all day. She was saying, hey, I think that we should actually do it like this. And we could store our extra parts in this way so we don't have to go searching for them each time. And so making sure that everyone has a voice and feels comfortable with sharing it is important because... None of us knows how to do this, right? So
1: we have to figure it out together, yeah, you're building a new thing. So then, what's next for you guys? One of the things that we had talked about previously was you have a product that's focused on children who eventually will not be children forever, right? So, The subscription in some respects has an end term to it. It's just a matter of when that is. So do you see yourselves going further up through that life cycle, potentially into having offerings for children of higher ages than just small toys? Or what is next for you guys?
0: Yeah. So we still have a lot of space left in the customer lifetime within the age that we're serving. We could do more things for older kids. Eventually we have of space there, but in our current market, I think there's a lot we can still do. Our next, we're continuing to meet our targets and growth. We had our biggest month ever in July, which is not a big month for toys typically, just continuing to our growth and making incremental changes to efficiency and exploring new revenue streams. I think we have a lot that we can do to improve the customer experience to make it really seamless. Right now, recharges default account, for instance, doesn't work for us very well. And so giving customers more information, being proactively transparent with them as well, not just internally, is here are the toys you currently have, here's when your next exchange is, We've made a lot of progress already. When we started, everyone filled out a survey, and type form for each exchange and just wrote out a list of toys that they wanted. And now they can actually select the toys as one should in the e-commerce business. So we've made a ton of progress already, but have a lot of work to do to continue to improve there.
1: Yeah, there's a lot you can do to continue going up the value chain, but I'm sure there's a lot you guys can do right now as well. So Catherine, where are the best places people can go to learn more about Tiny Earth Toys? Or maybe if they have questions about some of the things that we talked about today, where can they ask those questions?
0: Definitely. So our website has a lot of great information and all the toys. It's tinyearthtoys.com. And our social channels are Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all the big ones.
1: Okay, awesome. Catherine, really enjoyed the conversation today. Great to hear about your business and how you guys are growing. You definitely have a unique model, so there's some different insights there. And I think some of our other sessions have exposed, but appreciate everything that you shared today and wish you guys nothing but the best. Thanks, Nick. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.